This episode was recorded in early 2022. Hello, everyone. My name is Tony Dow, hosting the OCPHA podcast this week. And on today's episode, we're going to be talking with Dr. Kim Vo, an academic professor in pharmacy, and talking about her journey into the field and what she's doing today. So how are you doing, Kim? Uh, doing well. How about yourself, Tony? I'm doing well. It's early in the week, so I got a lot of catching up to them. I'm sure you do. <laughs> too right oh yes very busy weeks yeah yeah so you know just before we get into you know talking about more of like what you're doing today can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself yeah sure as tony has mentioned i am an academic professor i'm at marshall b ketchum university and i'm an assistant professor there i've been there for three years now i'm also an ambulatory care by training pharmacists. And I have a clinical site at Providence St. Jude. I actually helped create a pilot clinic. It's a pharmacotherapy clinic focusing on a lot of chronic diseases. So right now I'm focusing on gastrointestinal disorders like IBD. And also right now I'm doing a lot of rheumatology like osteoporosis, rheumatoid arthritis and the like. And then currently finishing up winter quarter of teaching pharmacy students at MBKU. Awesome. So I want to just go back in time a little bit and talk about your years before pharmacy. And when did you kind of like know when you wanted to do pharmacy as a career? And I asked this question because I have had some colleagues that knew in high school, and I'm still so shocked that they were able to know back then. And then, they, you know, they were able to jump into those accelerated programs. I had other coll- colleagues like myself, which we found out kind of during our undergrad year. So how did that kind of come out for you? Well, there wasn't any thing that was magical at the moment. But right when I was finishing up high school, you know, I was trying to look at my options, I was applying to college, you know, I'm already just thinking about college, and not necessarily thinking about the next step. But I shadowed at an independent pharmacy, and also shadowed some of my relatives and cousins who were also in pharmacy, and decided just to go to college in pursuing of a biology degree. And I had two choices, actually. I was thinking of either going into marine biology or going with pharmacy. I ended up joining the pre-pharmacy society at UCSD and really enjoyed it. So I believe that I don't want to generalize things, but I think all of my friends are probably in some sort of medical field. And I'm glad I I've stuck with it. And when I when it came time to applying for pharmacy schools, you know, I got into I chose the one over in Virginia, which is way across the other side of the country, and really enjoyed my time going through the entire four years and up until now. So my journey's been long. I actually had wanted to start a pharmacy because I've only known about independent pharmacies and my brother actually happens to also become a pharmacist right around the same time we were both applying. And that's that's kind of where it led up to now. So it's been amazing. So it wasn't something that I always had wanted to be, but I'm glad that that was something that was recommended and I pursued it. Awesome. So it's it's kind of cool that you said that, like, at the same time for me, like, I didn't also know at the time yet, it was a lot of like my, you know, my family kind of like recommending about pharmacy and stuff. But you know, once we got into pharmacy school, kind of knew, like, learn more about the field, and it actually became a great like opportunity for doing different things. And as you know, myself, I got into informatics, which is a completely different field within pharmacy as well. But like, you know, when you were in pharmacy school, right? Like, did you know, like, when you started pharmacy school that that there were these different fields like where you would be doing now like ambulatory care or academia i know you did your pty2 in ambulatory care so did you know that like during your 
your early years of getting into pharmacy school? Or did you kind of learn about that along the way? I definitely learned that along the way. And I tell students this when they first come on in is you probably didn't expect this, but pharmacy has changed a lot. And it's actually pretty exciting. And it's almost like opening up a menu where you have hundreds of things to choose from. So that was pretty much what I had to go through. I had, you know, I initially just wanted to open a pharmacy, go into independent pharmacy. I joined all these organizations just to learn, you know, I didn't know that what these other pharmacy fields were. I actually stumbled upon informatics pharmacy too, when I met pharmacists in my IPs who just got into that role. So I think it was an up and coming role at that point. There wasn't any formal education about it. So that was another thing I had wanted to pursue, kind of still really even thinking about that. And it wasn't really until my, I believe it was like my second or third year, my school hired a new ambulatory care pharmacist. I didn't know what that was. I went through her rotation for IPIs and really loved it. It was at an FQHC for the underserved, and it was mainly all about managing patients with diabetes. I don't know. There was just a moment there that had happened where it just made me want to follow everything and do everything she wanted to do, as she had been doing, which is going to ambulatory care, teaching diabetes, and giving back to the community by by going into academia. So I didn't pick up on any of these things until much later. But every year, I was that person that just kept changing their mind on what I wanted to do until someone told me I couldn't do all of them just to choose one one route. And I pursued even going into a residency, a general one, just to figure out if I want to stick with ambulatory care or or inpatient. And in the end, I kind of decided just go with ambulatory care and kind of never looked back. It's It's been amazing. Awesome. So, you know, I was looking at your, your history on um, your experience, and I did notice too that you did some postgraduate research. Can you kind of describe that a little bit? In terms of postgraduate research, so when I was applying for residency, I actually did not match the first year. And so my backup plan was just to go back and work for Target, which is where I did my internship through school. And it was a moment where I was sitting at school, kind of just thinking about what are my other options since I didn't match to residency. And my professor actually approached me and asked me if I just wanted to spend the next year before applying again to residency to work in her research lab. So I think that's probably the one you're talking about. But so basically, she taught me how to pipette and do all these benchtop research again that I've, you know, learned just very little in school. And it's actually something I really like, which is benchtop research. And basically, what I was doing is I was gathering up urine samples and trying to extract RNA from it using my biology and chemistry degree to learn to remember how to make cDNA, all those things, and then kind of helping her figure out this new potential biomarker for cardiorenal syndrome. And she's been doing this research for many years. So I just kind of got on board learning all these things. And we ended up publishing something for the at least my first publishing, and it kind of opened my eyes and it made me appreciate research a lot. And so if you go into academia, by the way, research is an important component in addition to just to teaching and clinical work. So having Having that appreciation somewhere, you know, in, in any aspect of research is pretty important for our career. So, so that's my background. In terms of other types of research, you will be needing to do research in your PGY1, PGY2, or fellowship. And most of those are clinical research, or you can also do educational research as well. But all of them are pretty interesting. And I'm just 
kind of trying to find my niche at this point of how I can marry my clinical work, my teaching, and my research together. Awesome. You did mention too about PGY1 and PGY2. I wanted to segue into your PGY1 experience. And, you know, typically PGY1 is a little bit more general. And of course, PGY2 is a little more focused. I wanted to ask you, like, you know, you did your PGY2 in ambulatory care, but was there a moment in PGY1 that kind of led you there? Like, was there something that, that led you to decide ambulatory care is like the one that you wanted to be? Yeah. So yeah, that's why I chose a general PGY1, just to make sure that I know that I'm for sure going to ambulatory care because I, you know, I haven't explored both of them as much through rotations because you only get pretty much a primer in fourth year rotations. So going there, becoming a pharmacist while you're in residency, and then getting more independence on doing both types of clinical work. The reason probably why I chose ambulatory care out of that PGY-1 is because I had a really good experience. I did my PGY-1 at the Central Texas Veterans Healthcare System. And usually the, the veterans healthcare system is really good with ambulatory care. So I got to see a lot of pharmacists doing a lot of independent prescribing, recommendations, education, holding their their entire clinic, just as any primary care physician does. And that made me decide, okay, I want to do ambulatory care. I enjoyed my inpatient side too, but out of that experience, the best part about inpatient experience was doing the discharge counseling, getting to see patients, you know, happy to leave, talking about their medications and making sure they transition well when they go see their outside providers. And that's the decision I ended up making. In terms of doing a PGY-2, you know, so completing a PGY-1, you can also find ones that are focused on ambulatory care and just start working right away. But because I was pursuing academia as well. And I was in the state of Texas at the time, my preceptor who was interested in academia actually told me that most employers won't look for or won't hire you unless you have a PGY2 as well, which was kind of an interesting thought that that's what's been going on. So I ended up taking her advice and applying for PGY2s and getting into a academic PGY2 over in Oregon. And from there on, I actually learned quite a lot more about academia that I didn't get from PGY1. Most PGY1s do offer a teaching certificate, but depending on how close they are with an affiliated school or schools, you may or may not get as much experience as you'd like once you decide on doing academia. You'll get some basics on how to precept, and doing, you know, being knowing how to do like at least one lecture and, and upping your presentation skills. But I find that uh, a academic school PGY2 or even a PGY1 provides a lot more hands-on skills that I didn't know that, you know, academic professors had. So I'm glad that I actually went through a PGY2 at that point. You did mention too that ambulatory, well not ambulatory, but in your PGY1, you really appreciated the part of like discharge meds and talking to the patient. And you know, as the listeners may know, ambulatory pharmacy also has a lot of patient interaction as well. And it's it's interesting to me because you're in academia where you also do teaching too. And I wanted to ask you if like, what kind of crossovers do you kind of see between, you know, academia, teaching, students and also ambulatory care educating patients? Well, in terms of the crossover, 
if you can imagine, so right now I teach from P1 to P4s and I, I precept P4 students in my clinic. And from my residency training, I was pretty much used to teaching P3 students and not necessarily P1, P2 students. So now that I get to work with P1, P2 students, I find that I can actually imagine P1 students coming in and I tell them this too, that I imagine you almost like patients, <laughs> that you're just getting this information for the first time. So how I teach my my patients about their medications and, you know, some general ideas of the disease state is pretty much how I'm learning to approach in teaching P1 students. And then with P2, P3 students, I get to add more information just as I do with follow-ups with my patients. So that's how I marry the two. I mean, obviously it's a little bit different because P1 students coming in, they already have some background of biology and chemistry and anatomy and phys, whereas patients don't. But I always let them remember that you're you're technically like a patient level coming into pharmacy. So think about how you talk to patients and how you learned for the first time certain disease states, certain medications, like what was that process like? So I'm kind of getting to see all different levels and thinking about how to better approach talking to patients. And now that pharmacy and or all of healthcare is more patient focused than, than provider focused, we do encourage our patients to actually learn the things that we, we teach them. We include them more in our conversations and not just telling them what to do, but also encouraging them to seek resources, ask us any questions, and really learn some fundamentals too. That's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, it's it's really cool that, you know, you're able to like make that kind of connection where, you know, these new patients in P1 are kind of like just the patient level. I haven't heard that before, but it, it does make sense. And, uh, you know, the next thing I want to ask is also related still to the teaching aspect is, you know, your ambulatory care residency. I did notice that you did a, a clinical teaching fellow for like one year, right? Yeah. So I had the opportunity after finishing my PGY2 to kind of be the first to do this teaching fellowship for the same program. And it you know, I've actually heard about teaching fellowships before from a colleague who was like a year above me. And when she was doing her fellowship, I had asked her, oh, I didn't know that a one-year teaching fellowship was a thing. I only knew fellowships as industry. So then going through that program, I got to, you know, I very finished my residency. So I changed sites and did other clinical practices, looked, paired up with a physician to do more advanced diabetes practices, was more, was more present in the heart failure clinic that I've done since residency as well. And then the teaching component itself was more than it did for the PGY2. And then as a fellow, you do more research. So I did more clinical and educational based research than I had as a PGY2 because the PGY2 had other requirements that you had to fulfill for ACPE, whereas a fellowship was more flexible and completing other tasks that you could with the precept. I see. Okay, so you got a lot of experience for that. And then like after that, you were able to become a clinical instructor. And then so there's another thing is that you have been moving around a lot. And I also want to ask you about that like you know your role over in um your, your main education being in virginia and then your residencies being in texas and then now you're here in california like how do you how do you see all the practices being so different and what kind of things are you like teaching your students now that you emphasize about different practices in different states or like how does that 
work? I believe so. It's not something I am think like outwardly thinking about, but yeah, I have heard that depending on which side of the country you're on, practices are a little bit different. I did go through and get my Virginia license. I didn't get Texas because I was in the VA system and we just follow on a federal level and got my Oregon license and California license. So in terms of practice, I can only think that the differences are my experiences with different patient populations. And maybe depending on the area, that's where those patient populations are most prevalent. But I'm pretty sure like with California, it's very diverse. So you may see the same type of rural communities that you'd see in other sides of the world. For Virginia, I think in that area, there tends to be a lot, or at least from my perspective, a lot more independent pharmacies able to exist out there. My education out there, you know, led me to able to explore, for instance, like the APHA headquarters, NCPA, all those big national pharmacy headquarters are out there from the East Coast. And in terms of practices. I did have a rotation, interestingly, over at the, well, two, at the FDA and the Walter Reed Military Academy, where the president goes if he gets sick, he or she gets sick. And I saw a huge difference in terms of formulary. For instance, if you work for the government, depending on where you're at, especially with Walter Reed, you have this unlimited, in a sense, formulary that you can work with. So you get to really see what you would do with first line therapies and then head on to like a smaller hospital system and deal with what happens when your formulary is one or two medications and they might not be the first line options. So that's what I can think of in terms of the different areas. I don't think my practice in all different states have been too different. I think as pharmacy is progressing, that's where I'm finding the most different in terms of different types of guideline practices. And as we're evolving with different technology and different medications, that's where the change is happening. So you meant, you mentioned about the, the changes in pharmacy practice and also the changes in you know our use of technology. And of course, COVID-19 has thrown everybody in the loop. And we do have to adopt all these different changes. And I guess the next part is like, I have like, I have a two part question I want to ask. So the first part is, how has the pandemic affected the ability for you to teach? And then the second one is, how has the pandemic affected your ability to pharmacotherapy care? Okay, yeah, it's definitely affected everyone. <laughs> With COVID happening, in terms of teaching, it's now that I've been to a couple of schools now over in Virginia, Texas, Oregon, and now here and actually working for our school, the teaching has definitely changed. I think there have been schools already that are more remote-based, asynchronous learning, and you know, like using forums or Zoom and all those other things to talk to students. The, the way teaching has changed with COVID is it, it I think it's accelerated to the point where now we're finding that we can teach remotely in certain aspects. I think with pharmacy school, there still has to be some hands-on learning because I teach a physical assessment course. So it's going to be really hard to teach students for the first time over Zoom in that aspect. So we had on-site labs for certain days. So it's not like the whole time as we did before COVID, but the students still get some hands-on learning. And then the students do appreciate 
some of it being asynchronous because we are encouraging them now to try to get an internship early, start being on the job early so that they can be a part of what's happening right now. A lot of students have had now the experience of being frontline workers, giving vaccinations because they now realize that, you know, pharmacists pharmacy interns, everybody is a part of this whole pandemic ordeal. And then in terms of my practice, it has changed to the point where when 2020 happened, and I unfortunately had Appy students on site, and they were only here for four weeks before everybody got kicked off from clinic, and there were no guests allowed on clinic, and all of our providers were shifted from their roles, like especially with the GI docs, they all got shifted from their clinics, and having to be recruited over to the hospital, provide as much care to all of the patients that were coming in. And my clinic then turned remote. So right now it's gotten to the point where we do still allow patients to come on site. Obviously we make sure that they're feeling well. I'm all masked up, they're masked up, and we're, we're in a small room, but we're trying to keep our conversation short and still going through the same processes. But on the other side is I'm majorly also doing a lot of online appointments, phone appointments especially, and it is very different to talk to patients on the phone versus in person. And my students get to see that firsthand where they're now practicing their, dif- their different types of communication strategies, like how do you talk to a person on the phone without seeing, you know, all the nonverbal cues and just basically being able to rely just on the patient's tone of voice and hoping that they're paying attention to you because if the patients aren't with you, they can be multitasking and all those things. But things have definitely changed, but, you know, we still try to do the best that we can. Besides seeing the pharmacists, they still see their primary providers, their specialists. And I know that patients have struggled just to get appointments, but when they do get appointments, they hope to actually see us in person or see their providers in person. So that that's interesting. Do you do any like video, I guess, video visits or is it mostly like phone visits if they're not able to do in person? So we offer all three. We highly encourage for the patients for their first time visit to come see me in person. But just for the convenience, a lot of patients just have the options of phone and Zoom. So we are using, and I guess we're using MS Teams and Zoom as our platform, Zoom for patients and, uh, you know, their HIPAA encrypted and everything. So I do have an iPad with me. I do still come to clinic just to Zoom with my patients. There are some perks to doing Zooms, especially if, because I do a lot of pa- a lot of patient teaches on how to use their pens or injectable devices for the first time. So they should Zoom with me and then I actually phys- I can see them doing the injections for the first time. There's also the other options that they could just go in for their first injection. But a lot of patients, you know, I let them choose whatever they want. There have been a lot more phones than usual, but there are still occasional Zooms. And then now I'm getting more and more patients kind of deciding, okay, we can do more Zoom and more in person because they want to actually see me. Yeah, that was actually my next question. So you answered it. I was curious about like whether you get a lot more phones because I think like one of the the issues sometimes is the accessibility of the technology. Mm-hmm. So Zoom is a little bit more, I guess, more difficult than, you know, mm-hmm. having someone just call over the phone. So I guess that kind of confirmed my my, <laughs> my guess on that. So 
Yeah, I um, mean, it's the hopes that, I mean, our clinic is trying to think about other ways, educate our patients. You know, we're kind of thinking about coming up with electronic books. But like you said, there's the technology might not be available for everyone. We had also considered at some point to maybe even provide patients with iPads for them to take so that they can just talk with them. And we're thinking about different things depending on how the situation is going to happen. But yeah, for right now, I think think that most of the patients may have seen the providers for the first time in person, and then they're okay and feeling comfortable that they can just talk to us over the phone. And that's okay. I usually tell them to, if they want someone to come out there to show them how to do injections, or they want to see me, I'm usually in clinic, so they should come to clinic to see me, or I can do it over Zoom. For other patients who can't, a lot of manufacturers actually do provide nurse navigators. So our clinic helps helps coordinate them to a nurse navigator for whichever company of drugs that they're going with. And someone will come out there to show them how to how to use it. Awesome. That's that's really interesting. I didn't know about that part. So it's kind of like it's still like a very collaborative kind of interdisciplinary, like, you know, work environment, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think COVID definitely pushed that whole interdisciplinary, like teamwork approach. So we rely on I mean, I I constantly have patients get referred to, you know, even nutritionists, but on our end, you know, helping them get in touch with a nurse navigator, they talk to my medical assistant, like all the time about financial assistance, I'm constantly talking to insurance companies for authorizations, getting well in touch with the providers, because during this time, I think a lot of patients are going through a lot of emotional stress and that's affecting a lot of their conditions. I deal with a lot of autoimmune conditions, so stress is a trigger. And, you know, also they have, you know, mental health issues as well that we have to try to see if they have any any of those conditions or anything underlying or they need some help for anything. We help provide them that. And now that COVID's getting better as well, our physical therapists, OTPT, like they're more open now with also I try to get as many patients to go through their referrals as possible as well. So we work with a whole lot of people. That's that's really cool to hear. Like, you know, it's it's kind of like emphasize that interdisciplinary side. But you know, thanks for sharing all of that and you know your journey and your current experiences today with like during COVID and how you were navigating teaching and also educating patients and your pharmacotherapy role as well. And I wanted to just ask if you had any advice for any of the students out there or maybe any of the other pharmacists out there who may want to move into this role of like academia or, you know, and or ambulatory care. Yeah, well, there are a lot of resources out there. Well, one is feel free to contact me if you'd like to talk to me personally. I'm on LinkedIn. And I don't know if Tony will provide my email or contact in some way. But in terms of for students, let's say, you know, you're interested in pharmacy, like we'll go that far back, is that pharmacy has changed a lot and you could be a part of how it's growing. So there's not a whole lot of expectations that you need to come in with. Just keep an open mind. In terms of ambulatory care, you'll be doing ambulatory care for one of your appies for sure for a rotation but if you want to know way in advance to that talk to one of your ambulatory care professors they have a lot of good information and you can probably ask to shadow and then if you know if all else try to get a panel together for your organization and talk to them for pharmacists who want to transition to ambulatory care there are a lot of opportunities right now i'm in 
a bit of a niche where not a lot of pharmacists are in autoimmune conditions like GI or rheumatology, but there's a huge need. And I know there's not a lot of training that's done in residency or pharmacy school for that matter. So a lot of the things is just applying what you already know on how to, you know, search disease states, look up medications and know what you need to know to tell the patients and just apply that to these types of disease states as well. For ambulatory care, I know like, you know, I feel like it's more relatable to community and, you know, but just being out there, if you, for instance, just go out to a health fair to help out like a school or whoever's holding a health fair, you're already doing some sort of ambulatory care work because you're talking to patients. And if you want more, I guess, resources on how to talk to patients in terms of, you know, holding long conversations and things like that, just you know, there's a whole bunch of ambulatory care pharmacists in different programs that you can outreach. I would, again, recommend LinkedIn to outreach a lot of different pharmacists in the ambulatory care world. And a lot of positions may offer, you know, a part-time job, or you can ask your current role to see if there is already a clinic that you can shadow and then gain some training through and then just transition over. Awesome. You know, thanks for sharing all that advice and also your, your openness to being contacted. But yeah, I'll, I'll be putting a link to your LinkedIn and also to your email in the show notes for anyone who's interested in reaching out. But you know, to be respectful of your time, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and you know, sharing your journey and some of the advice and you know, all the different experiences that you Yeah, thank you so much, Tony. 